Hello and welcome, everybody. Welcome to the No Name Music Cast. My name's Tim, and this is Joy. Now, many of you people probably wouldn't have noticed, but we took a couple of weeks off of recording. So we're fresh back. We're full of beans. We're full of uh, great ideas and great topics and things to talk about. Now, of course, you would have not noticed because there was plenty of uh, episodes dropping every week in your feed. But, but behind the scenes here at the No Name Music Cast, we had a, a little bit of a time off. I feel like it was a needed time off. We needed a refresh. Exactly. And plus, we was doing about three episodes a week for about three weeks. So. <laughs> Me and Tim were getting tired of staring at each other. <laughs> so anyhow, so we have a lot to talk about. Now, Joy has something to report on. I think I know what she's going to be reporting on, but I'm going to hand it over to you. So my report is going to go straight into the topic. So that should be pretty self-explanatory, but I have a twist on what you're thinking, Tim. So for those who don't know and who have been following the No Name Music cast, I have gotten to see Sir Elton John finally live. Um, I actually posted it with a few of our friends from the Freak Jam in a chat and they went, oh my God, it finally happened. So people have heard (laughs) the news. Um, Me and my twin sister have been trying to go for going on three years now. Um, It started out as my mother's birthday gift and then COVID and he fell and he canceled a leg of his tour and then Ellen got sick and it was just one thing after another after another. So at one point they even returned Brady her money and she had to rebuy the ticket. Oh, so anyway, me. so it finally happened. Um, and what was really cool about this and Tim can testify, I'll, sh- I'll share all the photos on the page for this episode, but I was in the biggest stadium that I've ever been in probably in my entire life. It holds 70,000 people because it is a national NFL arena, stadium, mm-hmm. whatever. I don't know. Me and Tim don't do the sport, but that thing. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I was, it felt like I was in the sky, which made me woozy at first, but I finally got used to it because <laughs> the top was off of it. Um, but the cool part was this, hey, I don't know if this is cool, but kind of lucky on my part but sadly as those who are listening know the queen died this past week so elton that could give you guys some time frame on how many weeks behind this is but anyway elton went to her memorial right after the concert like i mean he flew out there are pictures of his plane i found online where people were posting it because when we went to leave we took an uber back to our hotel because there was no way i was going to deal with seventy thousand people trying to get through charlotte to drive home mm-hmm so the, he shut down the interstate, the entire interstate. So he nobody was going in and out of the airport for the amount of time it took him to take off. Goodness me. Well, I, well, I suppose, you know, if you've got Elton John money, you approach the police department and say, hey, I need to get to the airport and I need no delays. What does it cost to close the interstate? And, there, and I'm sure the police department have a price for that. <laughs> Oh, I'm sure. And I'm sure they were just excited to be like, I'm on Elton John's detail tonight. You know what I mean? It's probably like a fun detail versus like whatever they normally do on (laughs) late night. So, yeah. So that was cool. So I finally got to see it. Um, I will say, and this is what was very interesting. He puts on a like an amazing show, as you can imagine. It's very over the top. It's very dramatic. It's very fun. But the sound quality. So I was trying to think about what made this concert so much different than any other concert I've ever been to, Tim? And it was the production level of like, you go from somebody who's a millionaire to Elton John's billionaire status. I'm sure that the farewell tour is made billions upon billions of dollars, right? Like that's not even a joke. And whoever runs Elton John's sound, that guy, I don't know who he is. Can't tell you. He is a genius and here's why me and tim have talked about you know when you're watching like like big stadiums and stuff the sound can be a little off or there could be that weird reverb where i'm you know however many feet into the sky and elton john's down here Mm -hmm. i heard in real time whoever was running his sound account for that like i heard at the beginning there was like a little bit off with that kind of thing and you could tell after the first song something happened and they made a switch and it just changed and then later on in the show two or three times i heard kind of like some different things with the sound and that was the first time in real time that i'd ever heard somebody be to account for that so whoever is out elton john sound engineer whatever their title is they are worth their money and whatever they're paying him double it because it made all the difference because that was what was so cool is even though i was in the sky literally mm-hmm. um it sounded like i was right by the stage so whoever was running that sound was fantastic I mean, that's good. I mean, I think it's also you you have the skill of a skilled sound engineer who knows how to mix the mm-hmm. stadium. 
But also you have the fact that technology is caught up. That's, and you know, yeah, if, you'd, if you'd have gone to a stadium show in the 80s or the 90s, the technology to do that stuff didn't even really exist. Digital mixing desks, et cetera, didn't even exist. It just blew my mind because I'd never heard it happen. You know, all those things taken into like account in real time and that to with to that extent and then also he had the greatest setup because you know every concert nowadays has big monitors so you could see the person and see what's going on he had the best monitor setup i've ever seen he had three um two on each side one on the top and yes it was on him but he was doing like graphics and different pictures and different things that went with the songs Mm -hmm. so it wasn't just all just like where you see the audience or you see him playing or whatever so he like it was more of an interactive show i guess i can say um so that was really cool and then, of course, I mean, his voice still sounds gorgeous. It doesn't even when you see him physically, he does look like he's aged like anybody else. But like his voice doesn't even sound like his age. And his piano playing was phenomenal. But then the cooler part was and that's what I was telling Tim is he had two of the greatest session musicians that had played with him from the 60s on this tour, too. He had his guitarist and he Davey Johnson. Davey John, I think it's Davey John Stone, I think. Something like that. I said whatever the british version of davy something <laughs> and then he had is it ray or roy ray ray and with the cool little glasses that was doing his percussion and oh my god they were phenomenal like yes elton was amazing but they were so good and he he let them play on so many songs to let them have their moment mm-hmm. and it's really cool because people don't know i mean they play with paul mccartney they play with the beatles i mean i could if you go look up them as session museums muse- museums yes they're a museum <laughs> <laughs> musicians i mean tim could probably tell you even more than i do they played for everybody they, they have, but I will say one thing that Elton has been very loyal to that backing band for years mm-hmm. and years and years, and he keeps that band on retainer. And uh, whenever Elton plays, that's who you get, and he's very loyal to those people. So I think David Johnstone has uh, been his guitar player, like you say, since the 70s. And so that was really cool because I didn't know because, you know, a lot of times, you know, people switch in and out to go to different things. But what I saw was then and he did like a little section where, you know, he went over all of his musicians. And I can't tell you what the other guy's names were. Mm-hmm. And at one point, I almost thought he had like a almost what looked like an orchestra type thing happening behind stage. But I can't confirm or deny it. There was just so much going on. But, yeah, that was really cool. But overall, if you sadly, this was what was um, very sad is he this is his farewell tour. Like he's only got a few more shows left in America. He says he's never going to tour again um, at this level. You know, he might Mm -hmm. do shows and stuff, but not at this level. And he said three or four times this was his last show in North Carolina. So probably the last show near us that I wouldn't have had to drive or go thousands upon thousands of miles to see him. So that made me a little teary eyed in some weird way. But I was very, very excited that it finally happened. And as Tim says, and I've, I've said, if you can go, go, go see your idols. It's well worth it. Absolutely. Now, from the show, what were your uh, song highlights? Oh, uh, well, I told my twin sister there was one song. If you didn't play it, she was going to have to get her money back. And that is the word I can't say is back because that's my theme song. And that was (laughs) so cool. He did a whole show with like drag queens on on his thing, which was fantastic. (laughs) And then Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting. I mean... That one, he highlighted a lot of the other musicians on, and that was super cool. But then he also did, and I was surprised. I thought he was going to do the Diana version, but he did the Marilyn Monroe version mm-hmm. of Candle in the Wind. And I, for those who remember or have seen the other room that I sometimes have recorded in back in the day, I have a whole set of Marilyn Monroe posters and like a whole section of my house set up for Marilyn Monroe. So that was really cool for me, too. So those three were probably my top ones. And then I was excited because he did an encore. Of course he did. And he came and did the new song that he does with Dua Lipa and talked about how much fun it's been that he just had that song with Dua Lipa come out. And then he just did a song with Britney Spears come out. So like, you know, his set, however many years he's been here, he's, that's fantastic. But he like, after his, um, this is just really like almost like over the top Elton John after his encore, Tim, he sat in what looked kind of like, you know those chairs that bring people up and down like stairs? 
Mm-hmm. Like like a stair lift type thing. <laughs> he said and like a stair lift type thing and like went up the stage and like waved as he was leaving. <laughs> <laughs> and it was very like dramatic and over the top because it was the good it was the yellow brick road like goodbye farewell tour. I don't remember the exact words, but it was like him waving bye after he's announcing this is his final thing, and it was so over the top dramatic, and I loved it. Fantastic. Now, as you know, I saw Elton in the mid-90s at Wembley Stadium, and he was supposed to be doing a show with Billy Joel, where it was like half Billy Joel, half Elton, and then they would come and do some songs. Billy Joel had a throat infection or something and pulled out, and Elton just played three and a half hours all by himself. Oh, my God. He probably was amazing. I mean, this concert went on from what started at eight. We got there two hours early because that's when the doors open and you have to get there super early for that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it went on till 11. I think we left the stadium at 11. So, I mean, he went on all night. It was crazy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And when, when, of course, I saw Elton. Did, I, did, I don't think they had screens or if they did have screens, they mm-hmm. were very much smaller. And, you know, the, the, I mean, we were lucky. I was actually given the tickets for free. I worked with this lady who was like Elton John. And I think her husband was sick and she had no one to go with. And she said, do you like music? Do you want to come and see Elton John with me? And I'm like, yes, I'll come and see Elton John with you. <laughs> and then she had like, it, they were seated on the ground and it was about five or six rows back from the front. That's they were crazy. really, really good seats. And like seeing Elton John and that's all those that close quarters in a stadium was amazing. But like I said, he, he just played that huge long set and he just sort of sat down at his piano and played and that was it. But I'm, I am glad that you finally got to see Elton John. You've been talking about seeing Elton John for 40 years or something and you have yet and you hadn't seen him, but now you've got that one check. It was a highlight. Um, and of course I've already bought my next tickets, which are going to be weird. Al we're going to see weird Al in Roanoke next month. Me and Charlie have already got our next concert set up. <laughs> oh, fantastic. I'm, I'm, I'm actually going tomorrow to see Henry Rollins. Now Henry Rollins doesn't perform music anymore, but he does a spoken word performance. So he will be talking about his travels and life and what's going on in his head. And I will say that, he is such an engaging speaker. He can make three hours disappear like you wouldn't believe. Yay. Well, you'll have to report back and tell everybody how it goes. But yes, it was very exciting. And as anyone can imagine, the topic tonight is Elton John. Yay! <laughs> but to keep me intent from talking, because I mean, I think we've talked probably about Elton John every episode, just like every other major, you know what I mean? We've talked about it so much. It's so many different songs and so many different things. I pulled up some really funny facts. So one of my favorite stories that I've ever heard Elton John say, and I told this on the podcast before, but it's so funny. He's known for having a lot of outrageous stuff happen to him, right? Tim, he's done a lot of crazy stuff in his day and he's known to be a little bit of a diva. That's Mm -hmm. fine. Mm Mm-hmm. But if I were wearing that level of sparkle, I would be a diva too. <laughs> but anyway, so he he was um, talking on Carpool Karaoke and they asked him, "What when you look back and you realize, oh my God, I'm completely off my rocker, what was the moment? And he said, it was this one time I was staying, it was a big hotel in London. Tim probably would be able to know the name of it. Doesn't matter. Some really major hotel in London. He was all the way up towards the top, like a skyscraper type thing. And he said, the wind was really heavy outside. Well, I feel like England's always windy and brainy, but that might be not true. Anyway. I, 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 I lived there for 30 plus years. It's Pretty much true. Okay, fair enough. So anyway, so he said the wind was really heavy and he was trying to write a song or do something he wanted to concentrate on. And he said he called down to the front desk and asked the guy if there's something he could do to stop the wind. (laughs) Not the air conditioner, the wind outside of the hotel. And so that that story sparked my interest. I've got some just things we didn't know about him. And then I'm sure me and Tim will bring up songs we like and different things like that. Um, But I was like, if that story's out there, there's got to be more. So this is kind of our outrageous moments from Elton John. Apparently, at one point, he mistaked Bob Dylan for a gardener (laughs) um, at his own estate. So basically what he was doing, he was on... um, the things that Elton has gotten away from now back in the day, mm-hmm. we, let's just say he lived a hard life. So he found Bob Dylan very scruffy and he thought um, 
that he was a gardener and stopped him from helping himself um, to drinks at a party in L.A. Um, he thought he was a gardener who broke into said party. <laughs> and his exact words were, um, he looks gruffy, and by I wasn't sure what he was doing. And so I yelled at my staff, who is this guy? Must be one of the staff at Gardner, demanded to know why the gardener was helping himself to a drink at my party. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, Bob, Bob, Bob Dylan's like, he is one of these characters who is this amazing songwriter. And, you know, some people like the way he sings and some people don't. But he's one of those pure talents where his songwriting and his musical genius is there. But if he would have come out in the in 1995 or something, he would have never been famous because he doesn't have that kind of pin-up look mm-hmm. that seems to be important these days. So I can see that, you know, Bob Dylan dressed scruffy with his hair a mess. I mean, he's just being Bob Dylan. He's not a he's not a pinup star at all. Well, it says that the moment was um, very silent for a while, and then his with everybody at the party, and his personal assistant said, "Elton, that's not a gardener. That's Bob Dylan." <laughs> <laughs> And I mean, I'm sure he was known for his luxurious parties with his um, recreational drug use that would contributed to this. But that would be super awkward considering Bob Dylan was so famous at the time. Yeah. And I'm sure if he was at that party, Elton must have known who Bob was anyway. I mean, you know, if, if, I would if think. yeah, if Bob Dylan was hanging about in the garden of my house, I, w- I might not know who he was because, you know, you see a picture of Bob, but you don't see him face-to-face, but you've assumed that Elton would know who he was. You would think. So another one is um, me and Tim have talked about the whole Crofunkel with the I'm Still Standing where the camera ended up at the river, mm-hmm. lake, whatever you want to call it. They had to re-record all in a day. So apparently Elton had a meltdown um, on that set, and I'm assuming because of everything that happened, like he had like a meltdown and threw a tantrum. Um took all of his clothes off and punched his personal assistant in the face um, and then went to the hotel and trashed it, which he says he did not remember any of this the next day and had to live through everybody retelling it to him. Yeah, I think it was peak Elton excess period. I think like mid-80s was when he was at his peak of uh, substance abuse and all that kind of stuff, All all the bad stuff that was happening in his life. So I mean, if he if he was if he was off his head and then did all that stuff and then didn't remember it, I I could see that. Mind you, I will say, in the video, he seems actually quite happy. <laughs> I mean, he really does. To be fair, what I'm getting from these stories is I wouldn't want to be his personal assistant. No, I mean, I've seen the film Rocket Man. I've seen the film Rocket <laughs> yes. Man a few times now, and yes, you know, it's it's a musical and it sort of extrapolates some of these stories and it's over mm-hmm. the top for movie reasons but the general part of it is is like yeah you would not want to be part of elton's world at that time because he probably was well i'd say he wasn't a lot of fun to hang around yes he was he was probably a lot of fun to hang around <laughs> unless he wasn't. yeah unless you're his staff yeah. Well, and that's the way from my experience with anyone who's got substance abuse problems is it's fun until it isn't. You know what I mean, Tim? Yeah. There's a level and he crossed that level. So we're going to take it as something fun. But those were the two stories where I thought to myself, Lord, I wouldn't want to be Ellen John's <laughs> personal assistant because <laughs> that's a lot to undertake. And he said both those stories happened within a very short amount of time of each other. So I wonder if it was the same guy working for him. Anyway. Maybe. Did you know at that pe- that period of time, his his name or his nickname with the, with his staff was Captain Chalk Ice? Did you know that? I did know that. <laughs> that's crazy. I will say, um, oh, yeah, I was watching. So I was watching a documentary with him not too long ago. It was like one of these ones where they analyze, like, I guess documentaries are the wrong word, a YouTube video where he's discussing things. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about his outfits. Did you ever see that famous outfit he wore, Tim, where it's like a big white and he's got like this big white wig, like the old school, like colonial kind of type wigs? Yeah, yeah seen I've, I've seen that. Yeah. So apparently that thing weighed 14 pounds. Right. So. <laughs> Me and Tim will have to find a picture to show everybody. He says that thing weighed 14 pounds. And I didn't know what a lorry was, a track, like a tractor trailer. He called it something like a lorry at the English term for like an 18 wheeler tractor trailer. So he could not fit into a regular car. 
Mm-hmm. And so they put him in the back of an 18-wheeler with that and brought him to a party. And he said the the driver went the wrong way. And what should have been a five-minute drive ended up being a 45-minute drive because it got struck in the traffic for the party. Mm-hmm. And so he said every time the driver would turn, the 14-pound wig would fall over. <laughs> and he said when he got out, he was so mad that he yelled at the poor guy. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, like you say, a lorry is a track is a tractor trailer. <laughs> but I mean, I can't imagine how much effort you would have to put into keeping up a fourteen pound wig, Tim. I don't even like wearing the Pikachu costume. That I, have. I mean, I remember. So I think it was sometime in the nineties. He auctioned all of that old stage attire off and sort of drew a line under it, and it was like this huge, big auction with all those costumes and wigs and various paraphernalia from that period because he also he had a suit that looked like a duck i seem to remember he wore a donald duck suit that was actually in his stage show so he did a lot of pictures of like himself of like his history since it was a farewell tour and the donald duck one and you see him just sitting at the piano dressed up as donald duck and he was talking about that one too on this little thing that i watched and he said that the whoever he picked to do his clothes because he picks his own designers Mm -hmm. he said they were like you're gonna go on stage as donald duck and he was just like okay (laughs) he was there I also liked in this when they were talking about uh, in the same day, they're asking why him and um, Bernie don't, you know, songwrite together. So for those who listen, who don't know much, Barry, Bernie, say his last name. I can't say his last name. Bernie Tolpin. That um, British guy, Bernie over there. Um, <laughs> he writes all the lyrics um, typically. And then Elton usually writes the music and then they come together at some point and they put the lyrics and the music together. They send each other samples back and forth, lyrics back and forth. Um, and that's just their process. And they said, well, why don't, you know, a lot of people would wonder why you guys do this separately. And Elton goes, I think if we had to work together, we would end up killing each other. <laughs> and I thought that was really funny and really honest at least he knows that about himself yeah the other other thing is like elton says he says when bernie sends him the lyrics he sort of puts them on his piano and he said he can even as he reads the lyrics he can hear the music he said it inspires him to to, for that music just to appear and then he just plays it on the piano and and that's how he does it i mean i mean that's so cool though and I like that they know what works for them, right? And they made mm-hmm. how many hits? I mean, I wouldn't be able to. I would say Elton John's had at least 30 number one hits. That's not even an exaggeration. Like, you know, honestly, and they've always worked together. So I just thought that was really funny um, when I was watching that. So another thing that this is just a random fact. So Elton has come in third of the Billboard 100 chart for the greatest artist of all time. While he came ahead of Elvis, he fell just behind the Beatles, who were number one, and Madonna, who was number two, which I find ironic because we know him and Madonna don't really like each other. (laughs) I was surprised, though. I mean, it doesn't shock me at this point that he's above Elvis. I feel like he's had way more singles. Yeah, and as, as we've said before, El, you know, Elvis is iconic. Elvis had all the, all the hits. El, mm-hmm. Elvis, you know, was, was there at the cusp of the beginnings of rock and roll. But I just feel that Elvis has become dated. And, yes, they came up with that film yep. recently about Elvis, and that may have sort of uh, re-energized the Elvis fandom. But I, Elvis seems to be something from the 50s, 60s, and then there's a the whole sort of Vegas jumpsuit and era, to be fair, it's not really Elvis's fault because I mean, he did die. We don't know no, what would no, happened no, if he no, stayed that's, alive. That's, no, that's true. But I mean, like the Beatles had a very short that's career true. as the Beatles, but they've become iconic. I just don't think the Elvis music transcends the generations like I can the agree Rolling with that. Stones do or the Beatles do or something like that. I think it, it's becoming very dated very quickly. And that's a shame because, you know, Elvis is iconic. Elvis is, you know, the king of rock mm-hmm. and roll and all this kind of stuff. But I don't know. I think as, as each generation comes on, they're not embracing Elvis the same way they embrace the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, the Who, things like that. And for whatever reason, Elton really likes to say relevant, which I think makes a big difference. Him and Madonna both do, actually. Um, the Beatles, I feel like there's just something about their music that connects with everybody. Um, there may be some people out there who are anti-Beatles, but I have yet to come in contact with them. Um, so on Elton, 
one thing he talks about is he does not own a phone or anything like that. He does own an iPad, but he says he never owns a phone. He just people around him, security around him. Somebody's always around him that has a cell phone if he needs to use a phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he so he's big on Tim's favorite thing, which is physical media. And if he buys a record, he buys six of them and puts them in all of his houses because he has a house in Old Windsor, Berkshire, Italy, Atlanta, London and France. So he gets hmm. a copy and puts one at each house. Hmm. They, there you go. We live much different lives because that just seems like, because like, if you think about how big your record collection is, Tim, just having to spend money on each record and ship it to each house. We live very different lives than Elton John. <laughs> I mean, I have maybe, actually, I probably have six copies of each of Brian May's solo albums. That's yeah. because they reissued them. And being an obsessive fan, I bought every format that it came on. I didn't buy the cassette, but I bought all the record versions and all the CD versions. But I mean, that that's an anomaly. But like, yeah. I'm, I'm not buying an album that I really want and then buying six copies of it. <laughs> I mean, at least he supported the artist, I guess, you know? So... Those who know this, um, his he goes, he's Sir Elton Hercules, John. Elton and John were two of his band members from his original band, and he sold their names because mm-hmm. uh, the guy told him, you know, you need a cool name. You have to basically kill who you were born. That's That might not be what he actually said, but that's what the movie says. So Mr. Sir Elton John was actually knighted by the Queen, Queen Elizabeth II, um, in 1998. But the cool thing is, and what some people don't know about Elton John, is he runs a foundation, um, a big foundation for AIDS, for the for like AIDS relief. I don't want to say relief. What's the word I'm looking for? To raise money towards AIDS awareness. It's like, it's like, it's like awareness prevention. prevention. That That's the word I'm looking for. So apparently um, a big factor in that was he was very big friends with Freddie Mercury. Mm-hmm. And then when that one... Um, there was a younger gentleman in America. His name is Ryan. Something passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, those two things um, stuck out for him. So then he started his thing with um, AIDS awareness. So that is why he was actually knighted. Um, they also honored him with the title CBE. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? I don't well, know. He's but- commander of the British Empire. So it, it's not normally you are a knight. So you're a sir. Mm-hmm. Um, you can be an OBE, which is Order of the British Empire, or oh. a CBE, which is which is Commander of the British Empire. It's basically a title. It's like the Presidential Medal of Freedom, I suppose, oh, but okay. it's different. But it's different levels. So the, the the top of the tree is your knighthood, and then you have your OBE, and then your CBE. Well, apparently he has both. I learned that. But um, what I thought was interesting is for his foundation. This is just really cool. Did you know, Tim? You can get Elton John to do a concert for you for $1 million. And he puts all, like, if you hire him, it is $1 million for your party, event, whatever. And all the money goes to his foundation. I've heard that because, I mean, certainly the fact that he's giving all the money to his foundation is fantastic. But any of these touring acts, if you want them to perform in your house, there's a price for that. You speak to their management and they will tell you what the price is. But I mean, I think it's very commendable that Elton is donating all that money to his foundation. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to pay a million dollars, at least a million dollars is not going, no offense to him. He's got plenty of money. You know what I mean? To something very good. So I just thought that was really cool. What I was reading up on these random facts. Um, Well, I will tell you one thing. I make a promise to you, joy. I'm planning on a lottery win at some point. I really am. I've got, that's, that's in my plans. And my promise to you is if I get stinking rich with a lottery win, I'm going to have Elton come around to your house and play piano. There you go. There you go. Also, I'll get the Casio out for him to really <laughs> live it out in style <laughs> from behind my pantry where it's currently sitting. But, you know, I've heard that before. I, I forget who it was. It was some somebody... It was a Hollywood type or something said that they went to a party and Elton John was there playing piano. So I've heard that before that's crazy i i mean i i don't know why i just thought like someone of his you know stature i it would have even dawned on me that there was a price to get him to play but i guess money is money <laughs> yeah i mean any i mean you, you used to hear about michael jackson would go out and play for the sultan of brunei's kids and you know yeah. there's there's a price for that if you if you want if you want a Katy perry show at your birthday party speak to her management she, they'll cut they'll set that up 
I mean, that's fair. I just I never really thought about it. I think it comes down to Tim. I'm never going to, unless I do, you know, cash it on your lotto ticket. I won $8 the other day. So everybody knows. Yeah. I got $8, Tim, in a lotto ticket. <laughs> <laughs> For those who can't see, I held the ticket up. But um, if I do win the lottery, then I will, um, I'll have to start bringing in artists because I didn't even know that was an option. <laughs> Yeah, every now and again, those priceless circulate on the internet of how mm. much, how much it costs to book certain artists, and um, you know, as I said, Katy Perry's this much, Elton is that much, and whoever whoever you want, it's available. Because if you think if you're playing a festival or something like that, they have to pay the artist to do yeah. it. So what's the difference? I mean, if 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 it fits within their schedule and the price is right, they'll do it. Well, I guess you just have to make sure you have enough. You have whatever they need to set up their. Well, I guess I mean I wouldn't care if you give a million dollars. We'll just sit in your living room and play the piano, really. But if I win the lottery, Tim, I'll bring Brian May to your house. <laughs> well, you, you you are very kind. You can come come around and jam and um, bring the red special with him. It'll be fantastic. <laughs> you see tears coming from Tim's eyes as they shake Brian May's. Apparently. Speaking of Brian May, this is why it's on my mind. Um, he absolutely hated. Um, Elton John absolutely hates the song Bohemian Rhapsody and hated it when it came out. Well, I mean, I mean, you know, some people like songs and some people don't like songs. I mean, I like Bohemian Rhapsody, but it's so overplayed at this point, like absurdly overplayed at this point. Yeah. Especially if he, if he was friends with Freddie Mercury and he was friends with that kind of scene, um, he probably heard it a hundred times even before it was uh, released. <laughs> That's where the story is going. So apparently, yeah. um, John Marine, you know, who managed Elton, uh, it was the singer's partner. He, they were together for a while, had recently signed Queen back in the day to his management mm-hmm. company. And basically, they asked his opinion on the song. And he said, we listened to the song and I shook my head. Insidious. He said, you're not actually going to release that, are you? For one thing, it's about three hours long. For another, it's the campiest thing I've ever heard. And the title is absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the other thing with Elton is he, he, he appears not to have a filter no, you get what you get with him. That's what yeah. I'm understanding. Um, for better or for worse, really, because half the facts are him having fallouts with people. <laughs> I see more about Diana, Tina Turner. <laughs> Bless him. All right. So speaking of Miss Tina Turner, apparently, according to Elton John, Tina Turner had a few words for him on the phone. He alleges the she called him up and told him how awful he was, how she didn't like his hair, and he should change from Versace to Armani so he would look less fat. Oh, goodness me. I don't know. Um, it all accumulated as fat that he was rehearsing for a joint tour with the legendary singer in the 90s. An extract from his book, the subsequent debate about whether I knew how to play Proud Mary became quite heated. Before I brought it to a conclusion by telling Tina to... Some words I can't say because Elton said exactly what I was thinking, yeah. and she stormed off, and that's how the concert tour never happened. Hmm. Apparently, though, they kissed, made up uh, over dinner at his house, but they never completed the tour. Did they actually play any concerts together at all? Not to my knowledge. Yeah, it doesn't say, I, but yeah, because I remember in the nineties, the big Tina Turner did that huge world tour. Well, it says they played with Tina Turner, Elton John, and Cher played together at some point together. Hmm, maybe maybe it's a one-off or a charity thing or something like yeah. that. But but certainly living in London, I don't remember ever hearing of an Elton John and Tina Turner tour. I mean, that's fair. That seems like something we would have heard of. Now, though, what I'm thinking is, is I need to read Elton John's book because <laughs> <laughs> I bet it's full of plenty of stories and gossips like this. I just. It, it seems weird to me, though, because I just can't imagine Tina Turner saying that. But also, like, why would Elton John lie about it? What's the point? No, I mean, Tina, Tina Turner always comes across as a really nice lady. But then again, if you're in production rehearsal with Elton John and he's been an absolute nightmare for two weeks, I mean, maybe it's going to drive you to the edge. I don't know. That's fair. I don't know. So he also has a knack for um, doing things he's not supposed to. Um, This one is hijacking a Rolling Stones gig. Despite being invited to play on stage with the Rolling Stones um, on their Honky Woman 
a track in Colorado, Elton managed to outstay his welcome. He writes, I decided it was going so well. I'd just stay on a jam for the rest of their set without first taking precaution of asking the Stones if they wanted an auxiliary keyboard player. He added, for a while, I thought Keith Richards kept staring at me because he was all struck by the brilliance of my improvisation. <laughs> After a few songs and finally penetrated my brain, the expression was his face was to really suggest of a proud, a profound music. This is his words. Um, appreciation and more like it asking me to leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, you sort of have to read the room because I mean, I've jammed with other bands, you know, I've been in the audience and people have asked me to get up for a song and then you get up for a song and it's really cool. And then they might say, Oh, and that was great. Let's do a slow one. So you do another one. And at that point, you know, Hey, thank you. And you hand the have guitar back night. and you walk off. <laughs> well, you don't, you just stand there and go, okay, what's the next one? <laughs> so you have to, it's important to read the room. <laughs> so he said, I quickly scuttled off noting as I went that Keith was still staring at me in a manner that suggested we'd be discussing this later. So I decided it might not be best if I hang around for the after party. <laughs> the other thing is like Keith Richards is like very territorial with the stage. Mm -hmm. there, there's a famous video. I think it was like late seventies where a stage invader got up on the stage. And I think he, I don't know if he was going to attack Mick or, but he was about to get up with some shenanigans. So um, Keith Richards had a black Telecaster deluxe. He takes his guitar off and he swings at this guy, hits him in the head. And then he puts the guitar back on and carries on playing like nothing happened. And then when they asked yeah. him about it, he said, oh, man, he said, he said, oh, he said, I'm in the zone and it's my territory, man. And no, no, nobody messes with my territory when I'm in the zone. Yeah. I mean, I think that and Elton is a very showmanship kind of person. Somehow he has a way of still becoming a showman and showing off his skills, even when he's just sitting at a piano. Mm -hmm. So I could easily see how he'd be worried. Keith Richard would be like, oh, my God, everybody's staring at him. You know, and I don't just need the clothes because if he was just an audience member, there's no he might not even be dressed up. I'm just saying he has a showmanship of him that mm -hmm. if you were defensive of your stage. And on the flip side, I could also see Elton doing that too, right? I could see Elton being defensive of his stage. Mm -hmm. I see that in both kind of personality traits. Yeah, there was. I think there was a video from his uh, farewell tour where someone tried to jump up and play his piano with him or something, and I think he just stopped the gig and <laughs> until the guy was removed. That doesn't surprise me. I mean, the other thing is you never know, like, you could even be worried about security, like, who's mm -hmm. this guy? So a cool factor, just something really nice, or I, I never heard this. Apparently, um, Elton appeared on stage with John Lennon during his Madison Square Garden performance in 1974. Um, they played, Elton played piano on Lennon's song, Whatever Gets You Through the Night, and had... Um, El had bet Lennon that the song reached number one, um, Lynn would have to perform it with him. And it turns out this was like his last performance, um, his last final performance. So he bet him if the song came number one, he'd have to come on stage and with him. They also performed Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds and I'm Still Seeing. Sadly, it turned out to be John Lennon's last public performance ever. Hmm. There we are. I will, I will say that Elton's version of Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds it's one of those songs that I almost prefer it to the original. I think his interpretation so of it is really good. But you know, Tim, that song is about a trolley. <laughs> well, of course. Yeah, you know, the other song that he does, which I think is better than the original, is Pinball Wizard. Have you heard his version of Pinball Wizard? Oh, absolutely. So my twin sister, this is so funny. You bring this up. So when we were on our way to the Elton John concert, Brandy was in the car asking my mother, talking to my mother about Pinball Wizard. And she's like, who's the original? And I'm sitting there going, the who? The who? Like I'm screaming it while I'm driving down because I was the one driving. And Brandy's like, who is it? I'm sitting there going, it's the who. And I'm like, no, not who is it? It's the who. <laughs> <laughs> like I kept going, the who? The who? And she's like, who? And I'm like, no, the band. And the who? <laughs> anyway, it's but yes, a, his version is better. Yeah, I mean, because like the original has like that really cool acoustic chord thing going on. But yep. He does it in a different key, and he plays it on the piano at the beginning, and it is so good. I mean, and it's plus, fantastic. of course, the clip from Tommy where mm -hmm. he's playing it, and he has those massive Dr. Martin boots on. And I think I've already told the story about how we went to a shoe museum in Nottingham that has those Dr. Martin boots. So what are my facts is about that? So apparently he was super nervous 
about doing that scene in the boots because they were so big, the big Doc Martens. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, so the, if you look at him, he's got, you know, he's leaning over that little pinball thing. Mm-hmm. It's actually a mini keyboard up there. He asked that they put a little keyboard up there because he said it would make him feel more comfortable because he's used to always being behind a keyboard because he was nervous. That's yeah, so cool. and also, and also, it looks better because, like, if if uh, if Elton was just playing the pinball table, it would yeah, you know, be fine. Sure. But the fact that like he has a little mini keyboard on the top, and that's how he's making the uh, the pinball table work, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, I just thought that was kind of cool because you know, as humans, we like what we're used to, so that that's a great way to kind of. And it's a cool scene. I actually am looking at a picture of it right now, and you know, they're down by the ground, and it's given the persona that he's really tiny at the top, really big at his feet. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So that was cool. Uh, speaking of his clothes, though, apparently he did not originally need glasses, but then he started wearing glasses. And by wearing those glasses, he messed up his eyes. So oh. then he did need glasses. And now he just said on concert on the concert the other day, he was talking about, you know, his clothes and stuff. And he's talking about how much he loves his glasses because he does a he, he sells glasses now with Walmart or something. Um, he said, um, the funny part is, is I didn't need them. Then I needed them. Now I don't need them again because I got LASIK eye surgery. <laughs> but I'm still wearing the glasses because I like the way they look. Do you know uh-huh. what? I, I was having this discussion the other day with someone. What are your What's your views on LASIK eye surgery? I just don't think I want to do it. No, because, I mean, I'm sure it's helped a lot of people, but... I don't know. Yes, 99.9% of the time it works fine, but it is an elective surgery. Mm-hmm. You don't need to have it. It's not like a cataract operation that you have to have it. It's that you decided you wanted to have it. And what happens if they mess up? What happens if it goes wrong? There's there's no turning back, at least with glasses, contact lenses. Yeah, it's annoying, but you can change your glasses. You can change your contact lenses and what have you, but you have that LASIK done and it goes wrong your eyesight's messed up permanently and i kind of like my glasses i enjoy my glasses i think it's kind of fun to be able to pick out new glasses and things like that so maybe i'm like elton in that sense but no i um i have zero interest in getting lasik eye surgery and you're right i don't what what are the like i i can't risk the idea in my brain of the 1.0003 percent chance that it does blind me like that's just i can't and it yeah. doesn't work. And I've, and I've heard that you, it gives like in, in the dark, you get like halos around bright, bright lights. I've heard that that's really bad. And like I have astigmatism in my eyes and I suffer from that a little bit when driving at night, like yeah. oncoming cars, you get like the halos around the headlights. Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't imagine that being worse. Mm. I feel like it'd be a good way to trigger like a migraine or something. No, thank you. Yeah, I could just see myself paying all that money, having the LASIK surgery, waking up the next morning, and then my eyesight's all skewy, and I'll be like, what have I done? And you know my luck, Tim. I'm not, I'm oh, not trying Joy, to mince with you. The- you are not allowed. If you ever think this is a good idea in the future, I'm gonna actually going to shut it down. I will, I will I will find out where you're going to get it done, and I'll just barricade the door. I'll end up as some study for the only person who's ever had LASIK eye surgery and let their eyeballs actually fill out of their head or something. Oh. Oh, goodness me. <laughs> <laughs> that would be about right. Okay, yeah. So, no, I have zero interest in LASIK eye surgery. But I'd imagine if I have Elton John money, I have a lot of money. I could probably pay for the best surgeons. Sure, but in the procedure is the procedure. You have the best You have the best surgeon in the world. The procedure is the procedure. True. Yeah, I mean, well, it seems to have worked for him, but he still likes wearing his glasses. And he says there's no actual lenses in them. Because he had those... um. What is the NHS glasses when he was little or whatever? Mm-hmm, he talks ones, about like them. The John, yeah. the John Lennon ones. Yeah. Yeah. He said that's what kind of started his obsession with the the glasses. But anyway, so just for some fun facts that aren't related to him punching people or wearing heavy wigs, it says that he actually taught himself to play piano at the age of three. Wow. Three years old. And I'm like, how do you just like get, I mean, Based off of what I understand from his childhood, I don't think he really had a teacher per se. Um, no, no, because like the, the the film Rocket Man sort of shows that he was a child prodigy, yeah. and there's a there's a scene in that film which apparently is completely true, where he'd learned to play by ear, completely by ear. So they so they take him to this like Royal Academy of Music or something mm-hmm. like that, and there's a very kind of stiff lady 
who's like not impressed with the fact this kid's come along and she's playing some very uh, complicated classical piece. And then she stops halfway through and she goes, okay, well, see, show me what you can do. And he, play, he plays the whole thing note for note and then stops. And then she said, why did you stop? And he said, well, that's where you stopped. Yep. That's what it was going to say. He won the coveted Royal Academy music scholarship in London at the age of 11. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Um, and so he for his so bluesology was formed by Elton when he was 15. Um, and the bay had opened for Patti LaBelle the, and the Isley brothers as they toured through Europe. Hmm. But surprisingly, and I didn't know this until he actually, I had never really heard this, but he said it at the concert. Cause for those who are like, wow, he said a lot of things. It's his farewell tour. So he's, it's very emotional for, it, but he's talking mm-hmm. a lot between songs and stuff. Um, a lot for him. He tends to be somebody who doesn't talk a lot on concerts. He just goes straight into the music. So he said that he actually got his really big break in America. He didn't. He actually had a hit in America before he had a hit in the UK. And that surprised me. Yeah, because I think he um, he came over and played at the Troubadour Club. And I think that was that's what, what he said. Him. Yeah, that's what launched him. That's crazy because he said he said the name of the club, but I didn't remember I remember it until you said that. But I, I just assumed that he was popular in the UK before America, but apparently not. And he says that's why he loves he always makes sure to have a really large scale American um, like concert tour when he comes. Like when he does, you know, he wants because he says that America is where he feels he got his biggest break. Yeah, because, you know, for the longest time in the UK, the only number one that he had was with Kiki D for Don't Go Breaking My Heart. It was always a thing where they say, do you know how many number ones out John's had? And you think, oh, I don't know, 20. It's like, no, one with Kiki D. And we're like, really? I think, yeah, that I, may, that's true. I think that may have changed when the Candle in the Wind song came out. And I think he had some hits after that. But certainly I think here he's more revered and has had more hits. Yeah, that's what I got when researching it. I, 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 don't, I don't know why I thought differently. It just, I just assumed he was kind of, you know, a universal. But anyway, so he actually names his pianos um, after female musicians. So he has an Aretha Franklin and a Diane Krall piano. Hmm. And that's something he said he has done since the beginning of time. Um, he actually performed a song I wasn't familiar with. And he said that he... It's a song that Diana Ross had recorded, apparently. Um, And it was really cool. And he talked pretty heavily about her at the concert. But I had no idea. I had never heard the song. Um, But she made it a hit, apparently. And he said her hit was much bigger than his ever was. I got to research what that song was. But that was really cool because I didn't know. Um, And so he has also named one of his pianos Diana Ross. Hmm, Okay. Because I know Elton always said that, you know, being a rock star, typically you play the guitar and that that's the iconic mm-hmm. thing. You're a rock star and you're playing the guitar, but he wanted the piano player to be the rock star. So, yeah. the, the, so the focus for him has always been making the piano, the thing and him being the rock star playing the piano. He really does a good job at it too. And I think that like, um, you know, you've, he's, since him, you've got more people who've done it. I mean, Stevie Wonder is an amazing performer and half the time he's sitting in front of a piano. Mm-hmm. You know, Lady Gaga is one of Elton John's personal family members, and, not personal family members, personal friends. And she mm-hmm. is the godmother to his children. And she's a piano player by tree. And she's classically trained. She was in Juilliard. So they have a lot of the same kind of characteristics. Um, but I mean, Little Richard, I guess, maybe before him. Yeah, he was um, one of the real first, I would say. Well, I suppose your first rock star would be Jerry Lee Lewis. Jerry Lee Lewis was yeah. probably the most iconic 50s rock star that will. What was the people who play the piano? Does he play the piano? Who, Jerry Lee Lewis? Yes, famously plays the piano, right? Oh, yeah, the killer. Yeah, and I'm like, he, no, no, I'm going crazy. <laughs> he's famously known for playing the piano. <laughs> I was like, wait, he plays a piano? I don't know why my brain just stopped it. I'm like, I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, he's famously known for that. But for some reason, I wanted to confirm I wasn't going crazy. Anyway. <laughs> can, 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 can this be the makings of a new bumper sticker? <laughs> Jerry Lee Lewis plays the piano. It's basically a goodness gracious great ball of fire out there screaming it at my head. <laughs> <laughs> but um that's what i'm thinking though the people you know little richard him they they were probably before him they were really cool piano there's probably a lot of african-american jazz artists i feel like are piano players though sure i would think that anyway but he makes the piano and it's funny though what i thought was an interesting choice and i don't know exactly 
why this was a choice. He wasn't mic'd. Like, if he stepped away from the piano, you couldn't hear him. So he yeah. did a lot. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Tim. Yeah, I was going to say, you, you you couldn't use a lavalier microphone in a concert setting. It just wouldn't pick up correctly. It was just interesting, though, because he didn't have another mic anywhere else on stage. So, like, he got up and said a few things to people up front. But then when he would have to talk, he'd have to sit back down at the piano if he wanted the whole audience to hear. Yeah, because, I mean, the the piano is his instrument. The piano is his performance space. So uh, it's not like he's someone's going to hand him a radio mic so he can have a conversation in the front row. He's going to go back to where he performs, and that's where he's going to speak. I don't know why. It just struck me as interesting that he didn't do that, but I guess it makes sense when you said it now. Yeah. <laughs> it was just weird because a few times he got up to speak, and like I could tell maybe he was talking with people in the front, but like mm-hmm. you couldn't hear it outside, and then he'd go back, and then if he wanted everybody to hear it, he would say it at, you know... And there were some really cool outfits, as always. That so at the front of the concert, it, like there was, they like put some type of floor down on the field. You apparently they had had a football game there that day, is yeah. what they're saying. So they put something over, like some makeshift kind of floor over the field, so you didn't mess up the field. Um, and those tickets down there, Tim, on the actual field were five thousand dollars a piece easily. Yeah, I mean that's fine if you've got the money, but. Haven't concert tickets got absurdly expensive? Uh-huh. And I mean, gone are the days where you could get like front row tickets if you, you know, got them quick enough or something. I mean, that's just out of the realm of normal people, what they can afford. I know. And it was just like, for them, that's cool. And I I love that for them. I'm happy for them. But the, the ones who were down there, you could tell you had some real diehard fans because uh, there was one who wore this giant sparkly green um, and even Elton actually made it, said something about it. And then there was two or three people wearing the Dodgers outfit that was mm-hmm. sparkly. Uh, I saw somebody wearing a rainbow suit. There were so many sparkles. Um, and I'm like, well, you know what? If you're going to spend $5,000 on that ticket, I'm going to wear a giant green sparkly suit. Oh, maybe he says my name on stage. because that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's about the only thing that's going to make that $5,000 worth it for me. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's just, that's just absurd amount of money. It really is. It is. And these people are usually people who are bringing people with them. So there's like, you know, they're bringing four family members. Think about how much money that is. Send us $20,000. I know. And I mean, you know, Elton's great. And I, I'd love to see Elton, but am I $20,000 into seeing Elton? Probably not. No, I'll stay with me up in the sky for a few hundred dollars. <laughs> I mean, it's fantastic. And if I had the money to blow, you know, so be it. But I don't. But yeah, it's just crazy because if you were on the field, um, and that's only the ones I saw. I don't even know if that's in the front. That might have been the people in the back on the field. It's $5,000 a ticket. Yeah, the Paul McCartney tour recently was something like that. And even like the standard tickets were $500 or $400 a pop. Mm. It's just, I don't know. I mean, I understand that the model in music has changed where you used to sell records and that's where the artists were making their money. And now nobody's buying records anymore, really. So they're making money on touring. But I mean, you look at the, compare it to the price of cinema tickets. I mean, like you bought a cinema ticket in the nineties, it was $3 and now a cinema ticket is $10 or 12 or something. It's crazy. But, but compared to a concert ticket that was 20 bucks in 1995, it's now 300 and something. It's just, it's just some absurd amount of money that has gone up. Yeah, so moral story is me and Tim won't be buying those tickets anytime soon. But if Elton would like to come on the podcast and give us some free ones, by all means. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we've officially invited Elton on this podcast before. Do you really have to invite him? He seems like the kind of person who would just show up. No, I'm surprised that the Zoom link that you sent me, like it's just some guy just didn't pick up. Oh, look at that. Elton's coming here. <laughs> What would you do? Like, what would we do after making all these jokes of what artist finally does contact us? <laughs> and are like, hey, you guys were talking. And, and you know, me and Tim usually only say, you could come defend yourself. Because usually when we ask them to join is when we've just insulted them in some way. <laughs> so, like, you just come on and Jerry Hallwell's here to defend herself. <laughs> after all the episodes I've talked about her singing. She's like, do you really want to go there? <laughs> Tim yeah, just opens I, it up. Yeah, I, I would say if, if anyone who's uh, had a hit 
wants to join us, we would be delighted to have you. And it would probably be a big surprise at this point. <laughs> it would just be really funny, though, after all that, if someone finally, oh, what was that? Um, we'll give somebody a shout out who is a musician who found our podcast. What was the Sergeant? What was the um, album we did as the CD of the week? Oh, Hope the- Claiborne's Funk Unit. So for those who don't know, Hope Claiborne found that. And she commented and shared our uh, CD of the week when that happened. Yeah, I was I was incredibly pleased you did that. I'm, so, I'm glad that Hope Claiborne is uh, still out. Well, I know Hope Claiborne is still out there making great music. So I'm very pleased to hear that. <laughs> I mean, that was such a, a random purchase in a thrift shop. And it was the fourth booty battalion report for booty or whatever it was ridiculous title but great great music well and i thought it was cool she shared us on her twitter and was like hey da, 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 here's where this came from you know explaining the history but i was like tim was like oh my god he screenshotted me where she wrote you know on the comment mm-hmm. on the video and i was like oh my gosh we found her and then later on i got a notification saying she shared us on her instagram or her twitter or something so that was really cool I, I, I like that. But maybe some of the other CD of the weeks that we've done, but like maybe someone from NXS would like to do that or something. I don't know. <laughs> we might have to contact them personally to get those people's <laughs> attention. <laughs> All right. So now that we've kind of just talked about just some fun, cool facts about Elton, we're just going to talk about the music. So I've already said many times that if I had a TV show, my theme song would be The Blank Is Back. I absolutely love that song. I love the music to it. I love, for those who don't know, it's not blank, but you can give it a good later. I just can't say that on this podcast. I have said many times that it's my favorite Elton John song. So, Tim, the question is, if you have to pick one Elton John song, what is it? Well, it's tough because the catalog is so huge. It but is. One song I always come back to with Elton and I love the music video, and we discussed it previously, is I'm Still Standing. So when I was at the concert, that seems to be a favorite for a lot of people. And there were so many people wearing I'm Still Standing t-shirts. Yeah, it's just, uh, I don't know, it's the, it has a sort of an 80s feel about it, but equally it's timeless. I would say so. And I think that for him and like kind of where we're talking about where he's got kind of a checkered past and all the things, it's a very ode to him getting him. So I feel like he kind of closes his shows with that now as a way to say, I'm still standing better than I ever did, you know, and now he's sober. I think it makes a huge difference. Absolutely. And I, and I, as I've said many times before, I love the video and I love the crab man. And I may have spoken about the crab man (laughs) before. It's like two minutes into it. And there's a whole scene of dancers all with body paint. And they've got like body suits on with body paint. And there's this dude who's like tracking Elton as he's walking along. And Elton's wearing this white suit and a cane. And this guy is so pleased. But he's moving in this sort of crab motion. And whenever I see it, it's the crab man. (laughs) Now, that guy's listening to the podcast. Tim would love to have a conversation with you. Let me tell you, I have tried to research the dancers (laughs) in that video to try and identify the crab man, and I have not been able to do so. So if someone out there knows who the crab man is, please (laughs) send it to Tim O'Sullivan. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be delighted to talk to the crab man and he can tell me about the shoot and the fact that they had to do it again the second day. And he can once again tell me how delighted he was to be dancing alongside Elton. That's fantastic. So um, the one that surprised me that I really liked a lot in concert, but it's not one that I go out of my way to hear, but it was so good live with sad songs, sad songs say so much. Mm-hmm. It was so good in concert. And that one was one that like everybody, for whatever reason, the whole audience wanted to sing that one. Mm-hmm. It is pretty big pop hit too, though, I would say. Yeah, that, just, that, that was a, that was a huge hit at the time. I, in fact, I remember that when that was in the charts. And also, I think there was not around the same era like Nikita was out mm-hmm. as well. Yep. That's all he did and play live, but I would have liked to have heard it. It would have been cool. I, I mean, when you have as big of a catalog as he does, though, I feel like you just kind of have to pick and choose which ones you're going to perform. Well, it's, it's like McCartney, isn't it? I mean, you, your your catalog is so huge. I mean, you can play five nights of the week and never repeat anything and play a three hour show every time because the catalog is just massive. Now, one that I will say that I kind of don't know why I like it 
And I find it almost, what did he call the um, Bohemia Rhapsody? Campy, Mr. Yeah. Elton. <laughs> it's Philadelphia Freedom. I really actually like Philadelphia Freedom. And that was his second song he performed. Um, there was a lot of, I think, American themes in this per- potential farewell tour for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, colors and stuff, so that might be why. But I actually really love Philadelphia Freedom. Yeah, that, that that song has a particular memory for me, which I'm not going to discuss on this podcast, but it does have a particular <laughs> memory for me. So whenever I hear that, it just takes me back to that moment. But That's yeah, fun. but that but that but that is a great song. It really is. And I I feel like it doesn't get that much playtime, but when you hear it, it just, there's something about that sound that's so good. Of course, everybody was excited for Benny and the Jets. That was mm-hmm. like the go-to. Everyone lost their mind. My mom says that she still remembers as a child, the moment she fell in love with Elton John's music was when she saw him perform Benny and the Jets as a child. When that song came out, she was watching, I don't know what show it was, Mom, you never told me specifics of the story. But <laughs> she's watching something, Elton played Benny and the Jets, and she said, from that moment on she was a huge fan yeah it's something about the intro because it's it's the it's lazy with the beat it goes dum 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 bum bum and it's just it kind of builds yep well and i mean it's kind of funny i don't i don't know there was some movie and i can never remember what movie it is but the people are in like it's like a it's a romantic comedy like somehow these two people end up together and they're sitting at um a bar or maybe like a cafe. Somehow they get alcohol. They're sitting there, they're drinking and they're debating on what the lyrics of Benny and the Jet is. Cause you know, he says um, the mohair suit, she's got electric boots, um, read it in a magazine. So they're going back and forth and they went on all night about whether he was saying electric boots and a mohair suit. <laughs> you know, I read it in a magazine and that movie, for some reason, if I could find it, people know what movie that is. That scene was hilarious because it is really weird lyrics. Like we've killed the fatted calf tonight. Like what is what does that even mean? <laughs> I don't know. It means something to Bernie Tolpin, clearly. <laughs> it does. And I mean, it it works so well for the song. So, and like you said, that's what's so fun about it. I feel like it's kind of supposed to be spaced out, you know, like, oh, speaking of spaced out, Rocket Man. They did this cool thing when he performed Rocket Man, like at the concert, where over the screens, they made it look like they had like a filter over him and it made him look like he was in space. Oh, well, that's cool. <laughs> just saying. So that was that was kind of cool. But yeah, so I just I remember that movie so well. And I always think of it when I think of Benny and the Jets. But I have no clue what that movie was or who was in it or where it's at now. But it exists. I promise you. There, there we go. <laughs> it's off with the dancing crab guy somewhere in history. <laughs> but yeah, that one's that one's probably I would say would be the one that got everybody the most hyped. And of course, Tan and Kiki D, Crocodile Rock. Well, don't go breaking my heart if it's Kiki D. Oh. That's what I'm about to say. I'm sorry. Him and Kiki D, don't go breaking my heart, and then Crocodile Rock were the other two. I move my two songs together. Sorry, everybody. Were the other two songs I'd say just like the general audience lost their mind. Did he actually have Kiki D with him? No, he had the audience sing all of her parts. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Basically, he would get quiet and the audience was still singing her parts. Because <laughs> he famously performed it with Kiki D at Live Aid. That would be fantastic. And Brady was talking about at the end, whenever he was talking about his song with Britney Spears, Brady goes, what would you do if he brought Britney Spears out right now? It's like, I'd probably pass out. <laughs> <laughs> like I wouldn't know how to react. But yes, no. So they sing. And then when he sang the Dua Lipa song in the encore, he had the audience sing her parts too. And her little picture in the video was above his head. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so that was pretty cool. I mean, that's pretty smart if you don't have the artist there. I will say, when it got to the la, 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 there were some very bad singers in the audience. <laughs> it was very off-key. <laughs> well, what did you say that was there? 50,000 people or something? <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not all 50,000 of those people are going to be in tune, let's face it. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And at one point, there was somebody who tried to start, you know, your famous claps, and we that 50,000 people could not clap at the same time. It never worked. No, and then plus you have the sound travels very slowly. So someone at the front claps and someone at the back claps, and there's always going to be a delay. Yep, and that was that was a big factor. And then somebody tried to do that. 
you know, the multi-clap thing and that one even more. <laughs> so, um, and I will say, I mean, Don't Go Breaking My Heart is a fan favorite. Crocodile Rocks, but I guess that's why they call it the blues. Made everybody, like, get really quiet. Everybody started singing it. Um, and that one is probably another top song for me from Elton. Fantastic. Okay. Well, I tell you what, before we wrap up this episode, I want you to give me your Elton John concert absolute highlight. What What is the, you, the big thing that you take away from that concert that was the top of the top, the cream of the crop, the best mm. part of that concert? The opening scene. The way he came in and it just was like, it was like thunder went out through 50,000 people. Everybody lost their mind because he just came out and it was just him and it was the piano and he looked so iconic. And I don't even remember what song he opened with. I can't tell you what song. It might have been your song, but I'm not 100% sure. I know the second song was Philadelphia Freedom. For some reason that sticks out in my mind. But the opening him just coming out and that moment of the audience just like freaking out. Mm-hmm. Stands bar none. Fantastic. Well, Joy, as I said, I'm very happy that you got to see Elton. It's been a long, a long time coming, a long time in the uh, works. <laughs> in the works, but finally, you get to see Elton. And I honestly, having seen Elton myself, I couldn't be happier that you got to see Elton. And I get to thank my mother for having a birthday that my twin sister bought tickets for, <laughs> and I got invited. <laughs> Absolutely perfect. Well, I tell you what, Joy, do you have anything else to say before we close out this episode? Nope, I think that's it. Okay, well, I would just say to everyone, please be kind. And we will see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. See ya. (laughs) 